That's terrible. Let's really commit. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, wait. Yeah. Oh, no, I got it. No, you got to. Can't you? Can't, oh, we got to time it. I can't clap when you clap if you don't tell me when you're clapping, right? All right. One, two, three. Damn it. Okay, Close it's enough. not a sync. But it, yeah, all right, fine. Okay, I'm going to start my tech countdown. <laughs> We've remarked that it's out of sync. <laughs> this will it. never join back up. It's going to be a fantastic episode. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Jamie. Uh, our other co-host, Mike, uh, he cannot be here tonight as he's busy recreating the movie Inner Space, but with a submarine sandwich, and we wish him the best of luck. He's going to need it. Say them bees balls, Mike. Say them <laughs> bees the- balls. <laughs> You're the only one who can save that poor man. Now, Jamie, we have to get to brass tacks. What's the first thing you think of when I say do it yourself? Uh, really boring tutorial videos on YouTube where they spend like the first five minutes talking about uh, their family's uh, unique relationship to cilantro. Hmm. Okay, I honestly didn't write anything in anticipation of your answer in my notes since I cannot see the future. And honestly, I would never have guessed cilantro would have been the thing that popped up. Uh, the correct answer was Animal Crossing, but oh, even that, okay. that, that's not a good transition into my actual point. Anyways, all of that was the segue. See, I feel like if you just do a meta segue where you mention how shitty your point is and it doesn't connect to point B, it actually forms a rickety bridge between the two. It's a little bit like uh, Joe Hill's Nosferatu. It just goes in between the areas even though it doesn't really exist. I like whenever an introduction defies space and time. It, they always should. I mean, we're already doing that by recording on like eight different programs and assembling them Frankenstein style into words. Anyways, during this uh, never ending quarantine season, there have been two films, in my opinion, that have perfectly captured the moment for me and, and like nothing I ever would have guessed. Uh, had you asked me five months ago about these films, I would have told you I probably wouldn't watch them. But instead, through a common kind of thread of garage indie spirit, we've gotten two films I absolutely adore. Probably they're going to end up being two of my favorite films of the year, unless there's something spectacular that pops up at the end of the year. Uh, And those movies are Lake Michigan Monster. Uh, For those unaware, it's a black and white kind of a fever dream comedy about a man who assembles a hodgepodge team to help him take down the lake monster who killed his father. And the second movie is The Host, a Shutter original that... Honestly, everyone on Twitter is talking about right now. Uh, a group of friends have a seance over Zoom to alleviate the boredom and isolation they're experiencing during the COVID lockdown of 2020. Things go south from there, as you can expect. So besides the fact that they're both kind of kindred spirits in indiness, I, I don't think there's a lot you could actually say that would bind the two together. There's not a whole lot of similarities in tone or style, uh, storytelling genre anything despite the name lake michigan monster isn't a horror film really in any way it's it's an absurdist comedy and it's really only held to the realm of reality by like local liquor sale ordinances which are true (laughs) nine o'clock is bananas uh sidebar i recently moved to back to madison wisconsin and one of my friends was telling me they they stopped selling alcohol at 9 p.m locally which uh, i i thought i was back in wisconsin I'm, i'm used to quick trips selling liquor until well beer, not liquor, until midnight. It's it's very unusual. This is bullshit. 
I don't understand why the biggest cities in Wisconsin are living like it's 1703. <laughs> what the fuck, guys? This is the event that pushes you into being a libertarian. <laughs> Nothing could be <laughs> that powerful, Jamie. Every, I just want everyone online to know, each time you post a Mama Joe meme, I get one step closer to actually yeeting myself into a cartoon pit of bear traps. It's <laughs> maybe good for you if you want to get rid of one Democratic voter. I don't know. Maybe that's your plan. God, the often fabled doomsday yeet. I didn't realize we were that far into 2020 already. <laughs> yep. Well, I will say that there is kind of a through line to connecting the two movies. What you got? Well, there's definitely a very upfront atmosphere of isolation in both of these movies. The host, obviously, like being a, a quarantine Zoom movie, and Lake Michigan Monster being a film that seems to take place in the afterlife or in some kind of purgatory. Because <laughs> I you could just see have, that. You have a small collection of actors blundering around hauntingly vacant locations, <laughs> interacting with no one but each other in a very dreamy way. Yeah, you don't even see like cars driving by in city shots or anything, really. It's, it's just the crew. Um, so, so we get their names out there. It's writer and director... Ryland Brixen Cole Twos, it's a lot of names, playing the main character Seafield. And then there's Eric West as Sean Shaughnessy, uh, Balua Peters as Nedge Pepsi, and Daniel Long as Dick Flynn. Those are the members of his crew, and it's really the four of them that make up the film. There's a handful of other characters, but they get scenes. They just kind of pop in and out. You never really feel like this is a movie with 10,000 characters behind the scenes. Like you said, it's almost like a dream world where these four people are unfortunately stuck together and have to go through this terrible experience. And it's a film that if you didn't tell me otherwise, I could totally buy was also filmed in quarantine with just roommates hanging around their property. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like a project that friends made together because they were bored. Uh, I was very surprised to see this was actually, uh, well, according to IMDb, uh, a 2018 picture uh, the first review I saw on there was from June 2019, so it has been around for at least a year, and it finally got a digital premiere and kind of a home on Arrow video. According to their Facebook, they might actually be hitting uh, physical disc sometime soonish. I didn't see like an exact oh. date or anything, but they gave me hope someday we could own this movie physically, which is a miracle. I love that. I'll be first in line. I want a steel book that's just a black and white photo of a glass of bourbon. <laughs> I want this to be as artsy as possible. What do you think the Criterion version of this movie would be? I think it would actually be, they would go the opposite. It would be a a very up-close picture of the, like, papier-mâché Lake Michigan monster from the end of the film. (laughs) That is something. They would give away all the spoilers up front. Like, here's the monster. This is what you get. I give this movie so much credit for delivering on its premise. Like, no, motherfucker, you are you get essentially a cuphead boss. The third act of this <laughs> Yes, that is, yes, that's it entirely. Like, this movie does not drop the ball. It does not back away at the last moment and say, oh, maybe the Lake Michigan monster is the friends we made along the way. Like, no. Even though it is doing an Ahab, like, Seafield is an asshole, so he could be the Lake Michigan monster. No, but actually there is a Lake Michigan monster. There's a monster in Lake Michigan. You will beat the monster. I just appreciate how this movie begins with an obscene premise that keeps escalating to the point where just whenever you think this film is winding down, you go into a fever dream of a third act that feels like... <laughs> like if you've ever seen the 
Oingo Boingo film Forbidden Zone, it's very much that aesthetic. I, I gotta say, too, uh, boy, was I not expecting it when Seafield just goes, well, I've lost all my friends. Time to go contact my ghost army. <laughs> and he just he just has a ghost army, like a Return of the King ghost army sitting in an a, a, a undersea church or something, just waiting for his command. Just waiting for him to sober up. You, you, oh, Cody, you know what? I could not stop thinking when watching this movie. Th- this is like a spiritual son of the marvelous misadventures of Flapjack. Yes, I can completely see this. This is like Flapjack rose up a little. Uh, this is like a Captain Knuckles version of Logan. Like, this is his final adventure. Seafield really is a Knuckles. Maybe not as bitter, but in the way he drives people away and treats other people. <laughs> to me, though, it, this felt more like it's almost a Sky Captain type production because it, it goes into such levels of unreality. But it's expertly done. Even for a low budget thing, it, it's trying to be a throwback to like a 1950s monster movie. But the way everything is done, it's it's beyond anything in the 50s could have ever dreamed or hoped for. Just the inventiveness in all of the images, just all the clever little visual jokes. It's it's astounding. For something that was made for an estimated $7,000 budget. They made it for the budget of El Mariachi. That's incredible. Uh, according to IMDb, so take that with a grain of salt. But Jesus, I, it can't be that expensive a movie either. Uh, this is just made with love and ingenuity, you have to assume. Even if you look at the filming locations, though, it's like <laughs> they must have filmed on the actual shore of Lake Michigan. So I'm sure that was like a no permit situation. Like we can we can film down there. No one cares. Uh, and in a lot of the movies filmed inside like maritime museums. So that's probably just a permissions thing. Like, hey, can we film here? Yeah, whatever. It's Saturday. We're closed normally. And a couple of classrooms. So it's like a teacher owed me a favor over his friends with me. So I just filmed in his biology lab. Uh, there, There is so much location based humor in this film, not even necessarily sight gags, but just unspoken jokes based around where the hell they happened to be shooting that day. Like it, <laughs> it seems to wear only having two or three takes to film in a location they're not supposed to be like on the movie sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to wonder how many shots they had to steal. I feel like a lot of it they probably got some permission for. Like if it's a museum, yeah, they, they probably just talked to ownership. I don't know. But that'd be fascinating to find out. I wish... This movie had like a comprehensive making of documentary because I would love to see them just sneaking into like an aquarium to get their shots for one day. See, I'd love to see that, but I assume any kind of behind the scenes documentary would have twos in character as Seafield the entire time. That's got to be a given. The man is in character in all of the interviews he's done for this movie. The amount of kayfabe dedicated to this silly, silly movie is absolutely outstanding and i respect it with all my heart he'll be directing his next movie as seafield just give us more nautically themed adventure movies make that your thing it's okay i honestly knew i was going to love this uh when i rented it and seafield comes out and does his introduction in character before the movie comes out and he was holding a bottle of like beer in one hand and a bottle of bourbon in the other hand (laughs) <laughs> but he's half turned towards the camera. So he's talking to like uh, through the introduction, taking his sips of beer. And then he puts that down, turns a little bit at the end and just starts taking a swig of his bourbon. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is how I would do it. We're of a, we're, we're kindred now. We're kin. While essentially giving the Frankenstein introduction. Yes. <laughs> I think your comparison to sky captain is very apt. It's very much 
aesthetically like a super on the nose throwback uh film in the manner of sky captain or moulin rouge but in a way where like their refusal to commit to that is one of the funniest running jokes in the film (laughs) like you're never even entirely sure if this is supposed to be in olden times or just in 2019 right (laughs) like the movie quite can't quite make up its mind but then, like, every once in a while, they just throw in these really obviously poorly done kind of image transition jokes. Like, uh, when the boat turns around. <laughs> or uh, my personal favorite, when the army of ghosts forms, like, a ghost <laughs> skyscraper and zooms through the water. <laughs> it's intentionally done in a jokey, non-realistic, non-throwback way. It's just, like, a goofy thing you would see in something like Kung Pao, uh, Enter the Fist. It's it's just, you get a mix. Every once in a while, it's Sky Captain. Every once in a while, it's Speed Racer. Every once in a while, it's like the uh, the black and white Call of Cthulhu movie that the Lovecraft fans made like 15 years ago. I don't know if anyone remembers that. It was a big deal. No? It's okay, folks. Back in 2005, <laughs> they made a silent black and white version of the Call of Cthulhu. It's like 40 minutes long or something. Not a, not a great film, but impressive for their determination to make it happen. Cody, Cody, America had to forget about that for their sanity. That's true. You've got me there. You can't well, you can't walk around with that dread knowledge rolling around in your noggin. You'll go mad. <laughs> God, the geometry, it's impossible. <laughs> but yeah, it, this movie feels like the most elaborate and beautiful shitpost in cinema <laughs> history. Every, every scene of this movie deserves a reaction gif. Oh, dude, I have not seen a comedy this quotable since Mystery Team. And that that is fucking high regard, because that's been my, like, my high watermark for this type of movie for a very long time. Everything that comes out of Seaworth's mouth is delightful. Trapdoors! It's my house, Nedge. Just, just, that line fucking killed me. Like, I just, I, I had to pause the movie because I was fucking laughing my ass off. I had to text that joke to you and ruin it because I was so excited when I heard that line. There's so many jokes in this movie, though. You you could watch it three times, and I think you'd still be picking up on different weird little things that are happening. Not necessarily background jokes, but just the amount of, like, one-liners and weird reactions stuffed into this movie. You would forget them by the time you watched it again. There's too many to keep track of. Just a lengthy, sincere conversation about how monstrous centipedes are. It's true. Especially because of the legs. <laughs> Tiny. <laughs> like, the amount of comedy gold they get out of characters saying the name Sean Sonnessy. Like, how is that possible? How is that still funny, like, nearly two hours in? It doesn't matter. It's always funny. People love alliteration. But uh, more so than just the comedy working, just it has such an unusual tone because it doesn't feel like it actually is a comedy. No. <laughs> there's, there's, it's, it's, it's spooky at times. Not actually scary spooky, but it feels unsettling in a way just because the black and white and, and kind of sparseness of it at times. Just, man. Okay, so last weekend I was visiting my parents. They're back kind of in rural Wisconsin. And it just made me realize how on the nose the tone of the film is. Yes, it's a comedy. Bizarre things keep happening. Our hero is always wrong. He's a compulsive liar. He refuses to listen to any reason. He leads others to disaster, even when he's offered a happy ending. And in the end, he decides to, spoilers, uh, he'd rather go with his gut and pursue his vendetta rather than have that happy ending that's offered to him on a silver platter, even he doesn't deserve. 
and going back to Wisconsin, just seeing Trump flags all over the place and just selfish assholes at every bar. It's it's like, okay, I can. Yeah, that would be our hero. Our hero is Seafield. He would be. That's he's the product of the times. Bullshit. I don't need friends. I'll kill the sea monster myself. <laughs> And even that, one of his friends comes back for revenge from beyond the grave to, to get at him. <laughs> because he's so he much like of a monster, Terminator. even the supporting cast becomes antagonist by the end. If you haven't seen Lake Michigan Monster, please seek it out. It's just hilarious. If you watch it with a group, I think everyone's going to have a very good time. It's Absolutely. There's nothing much out there like it right now. It doesn't look like anything else. It doesn't laugh like anything else. It's wonderful. It feels like something that a bunch of weirdos made together out of love rather than, hey, uh, this is a fancy IP character we can cash in on. I absolutely love it. Diamond the Rough kind of material. This is uh, the modern day six string samurai. Boom, gotcha! Scooped! (laughs) This has very much the tone of six string samurai where it's like, I don't know what exactly they're going for, but they are going for it with such gusto that I am on board. They have nailed it, and I just have to figure it out later. Yeah, this is a perfect party movie. If you are at all a fan of uh, Cuphead, Over the Garden Wall, like old animation, it's very influenced by like that uh, that type of uh, visual storytelling. Right, and we, we joke about this being like low-budget indie, but... That doesn't describe it right. There's obvious love and care put into all this stuff. Even when something is jokey, you can tell they did it that way on purpose. They didn't do this out of ineptitude. This was masterfully done low budget. The quote unquote crappy paper mache monster you spend time with in the third act is legitimately very beautifully designed. God, it's so good. I'll be first in line when that comes to Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Blu-ray is better. But if it comes to DVD, fuck it, I'll buy that. Direct to 4K, Cody. Oh, yeah, put it in my veins. As for you, Mike. You have to see every bubble in those glasses of scotch. Yes. (laughs) It feels like I'm drinking through proxy, which is how I want it. I can drink for real and then drink through the characters on screen to double my intake. That's not me getting drunk. That's the sea, Captain. (laughs) Before we move away from uh, Lake Michigan Monster to our... Second movie, there is one thing, and this is a real tenuous connection. It might even end up on the editing bay floor, people. Who knows? Whoa, off the cliff. I saw a quote on Twitter from uh, Lana Wachowski the other day about when they were making Speed Racer and what their intention was on the visuals of it. And I I really loved it. So I'm sorry, this is a bit of a lot of word text, but I'm going to spit it all out at you. We go to art galleries and art museums all the time. We go into the Art Institute and every room there there are paintings that look completely and utterly different from the other rooms. But in cinema, everything looks the same. And it's really aggressively straightjacket aesthetically. We started talking about cubism, for instance, and we started talking about, could you make a cubist film? And we realized that if you try to make a cubist film for adults, you will end up like Picasso, running from the angry mob when he first showed Guernica. It's because adults, they reject change, and an aesthetic change is too aggressive a death for them. And yeah, when it, it, I think that's a great idea. A lot of films really have to be cookie cutter in design. With Lake Michigan Monster, they're clearly doing something incredibly different from anything else you'd see in theaters. And maybe because it's a comedy, you're allowed to go with it more so than you would in a quote unquote serious film. I think a lot of people would label you just an art film and kind of write you off if you tried this in a serious drama. But in comedy, since you're already laughing, they can kind of go with the flow of it being a very unusual, unrealistic look, very stylized look. So that's kind of exciting that you can actually 
when you're on your own making a, a movie that's not sponsored by a major a major motion picture studio, you really are free to do these kind of things, and the chains are off. You can make something as goofy and wild and fun as Lake Michigan Monster. Also, go check out Speed Racer. It's probably been a while <laughs> since you've seen it, folks at home, and it's fun. You're, you're probably going to enjoy it more. Box Office Pulp recommends Speed Racer. He's going to be very good. No, he's going to be the best if they don't destroy him first. Transitioning over to the host right now. So if you have Shudder, you've probably seen Host. If you don't have Shudder, you should think about picking it up. It's it's under $10 a month, just tons of classic horror movies. Uh, there's a dedicated channel where it just has horror movies playing nonstop. You can just pop that on and get some new fun stuff. Uh, they also have new productions on there all the time, like this film, which is a Shudder original. Actually, I, if I'm understanding the situation right, the filmmakers went to Shudder, approached them and said, hey, we want to make this and went with them originally. It wasn't like they had a finished film and then they brought Shudder in. They had to partner with Shudder in the first place to, to actually have this made, which is part of the reason why it exists in the form it does. Host is only, I, I think, 57 minutes long. It's it's under an hour by a hair. And most studios wouldn't allow a movie that's under an hour. You know, it doesn't fit in with the normal standards. You can never really play it on TV because it wouldn't fit in with commercial breaks. They said when they were making this film, they had a deal with Shutter where they could be anywhere between like a half hour long to two hours. They gave them the free range to just make it as long as they thought it needed to be. And boy, let me tell you, an hour is the absolute right choice for this film. It doesn't overstay its welcome, uh, but it doesn't feel too brief. You get a lot of time to build up the scares and, and finally hit the point where everything's flying off the hook and then it wraps up. It's marvelous. I, I wish we got more films that really were the perfect length for their setup. Sometimes things just stick around too long, but not this film. It's it's just astounding. I really wish that um, more directors would get the hint <laughs> from those. Like, like, there's so much to take away from this movie, but like, one of my biggest takeaways was just, God, is one hour all you need for about... 40% of horror stories. Well, this one, it's designed kind of like a roller coaster. You know, it's its an experience. The whole thing is told through Zoom. We don't get cheats where they, you know, put down the computer at one point in the movie, and then all of a sudden it just cuts to a, a traditional filming style. The whole thing is filmed like it's an hour-long Zoom meeting, and it sticks to that concept. It's its perfect. Uh, it's, in my mind, you know, the I'm sure this comparison is made a thousand times and it's old by now, but it's its the modern day Blair Witch Project where they have the concept of we're filming everything on our documentary cameras. That's the only footage you get in this movie. That's it's, it's essentially what they're doing here. Everything is through Zoom. Which is something we talked about years ago in our found footage episode. The number one thing that fucks with found footage movies is breaking your own rules, taking things out of found footage, like ha having things that clearly could not be there that completely take you out of the experience when the immersion is the entire reason you're watching a found footage movie to begin with. And yeah, the host does not cheat. Not once. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating. When they're talking about the making of, they said there is a lot of edits kind of hidden in, hidden in there as the cameras you know move around, as people are moving their laptops. And this is fascinating to me. I want an entire making of, of this movie that's longer than the movie. Uh, they had a group of stunt guys, like wire pullers and stuff, who were all quarantining together. So what they did was they sent them doubles of like the cast and crew's costumes, and then they would have to find a place in their house that looked like the locations in the film of like the actual characters. So then they would just hide and edit in there. So if the camera spun real fast, they could uh, sneak and edit in there. 
and then just cut to a stuntman wearing the same clothes as your character getting like dragged along the hallway or something or getting pulled up a wall. And honestly, I want to go watch it again just to see if I can spot any of those. Because during my experience, I did not notice any really obvious, oh, yeah, okay, you cut to black right there. That's obviously them switching over to like a monster makeup or something. Yeah, I watched this movie eagle-eyed trying to find any seam just because I, I'd heard so much about how seamless it was. But no, like that 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 was just real. No, just all of those people died in real life. <laughs> Shutter is a horrible now. network for airing this snuff film. I'll miss them. I think part of it, too, is uh, they embrace the fact that they're filming over a Zoom call. So the quality isn't always perfect. You know, it can go in and out of HD. It might get some crushed picture. It might look a little pixelated as signal gets interrupted or drops or whatever else. And I think you can use that to your advantage to really sell the reality. If it's not a perfect picture, you can hide a lot of things in there. Like you can't quite make out if there's something in the background or not, because the definition isn't always 100% perfect. And if you're going to be hiding something like, you know, fishing line to drag stuff around or open up a closet, you really can't tell on the screen. A lot of people said it, and I agree. This might be the perfect movie to watch on a phone or a laptop. Way better than an actual, like, big screen TV for once. This movie was made solely to prove Steven Spielberg wrong. (laughs) Right. This would be the only one where you could maybe get away with filming things in, like, uh, portrait mode on a cell phone. This this would be the one where it's okay. (laughs) It's incredible to think that Rob Savage, like, this is pretty much his first big thing. He just has uh, some short films uh, in his library before this. And it all just came from a viral video he shot. Where he just pranked his friends in the middle of a Zoom call with some pre-recorded yeah. footage of a fake zombie attack, which also looks seamless. Like even even his bullshit prank video is kind of a mini masterpiece. Very well done. It got me. I knew what was coming. I knew where the scare was going to be, and it still got me to jump in my house watching that. I think he said he just like spliced in a, a clip from Rec Three or something, or not Rec Three, but one of the Rec movies <laughs> into, into that. Like when the you know the thing jumps out of the the attic. Yeah. And all he had to do was he would had like a contraption so he could put his phone up to his, his computer monitor so they could see pre-recorded footage. I don't know where he did that because the switch was so smooth. On a technical level, this movie just astounds me. Uh, for, for guys who are doing this basically in their houses with, uh, you know, it's not an entire team. They don't have a giant catering crew there as far as I can tell. They were doing most of this underneath quarantine restrictions. They would uh, apparently have like the makeup artists send the appliances, the actresses to apply to their own faces and do their own makeup before any scene where they got bloodied. That's amazing. They, <laughs> they didn't even have a professional in the house to do all the work for them. For the way everything came out, you would never know. It's not like, oh, an amateur did that. It's, it's astounding what they did. I think I used my quarantine time to, fuck, I put a Lego set together and I forgot a piece. And I just realized that today when I was looking at it. Like, I can't even do that right. It's astounding. These guys all did all the things you dreamed about doing in your quarantine. On the speed this thing came out, too, I think they conceived it. I could not believe the timetable for this. Like, that video went viral. The movie was conceived. They contacted Shudder and made it. It's it's insane. The speed at which they did it. Another thing that you couldn't do, I think, if you're working with a bigger studio. Like, it's just not designed for that kind of speed. There'd be a lot of maybe design meetings, maybe meetings for people to go, okay, is this the best way for the story to go? Is this going to set up for a sequel? Let's look at this. Let's look at that. Let's look at the casting. Let's check and make sure we have the best people available. There, there'd be so much overhead on just making sure everything was perfect and marketable that there's no way you could get it out the way you did. Thank God this went to Shutter because it seems, I don't know if they were hands off in the entire process, but it seems like it gave them the freedom to do things the way they needed and get this out very quickly. And it hit at the perfect time. Who knows how much longer this is going to go? I'm assuming we're not done with quarantine for the rest of the year, but 
in August when I can't go to the theaters to go see all the movies I was really excited for. It's so nice to be able to put on a streaming service and get something that's tailored to the experience being stuck in your house. This is better than seeing it in a movie theater. Like I want to have my friends over and watch this in my house and we'll just sit on different ends with masks on. (laughs) Yeah, I love how uh, a group of people was able to take the shitty, shitty, shitty situation we're all in (laughs) and use it as an excuse to just return to a very uh, mid-20th century idea of guerrilla filmmaking. It reminds me of uh, the stories John Waters would tell about him and his friends as teenagers getting up in the morning, looking to see what the headline for their local newspaper was, and then going out and filming a movie about that headline that day. (laughs) I I love that spirit of just, no, I'm just going to go out here and just make some movies with my friends. That fucking, that evil dead spirit. I do appreciate, I think it's speed, man. Sometimes you just got to do stuff fast. It might not be perfect, but a lot of times things are over-polished or maybe overthought, overcooked a little bit. And it's just a pure joy to get something like this that moves in quickly and does what it needs to do. Oh, and so effectively, too. These jumps in this movie are fucking good. These are these are a wonderful collection of good jump scares and spooky little things. I absolutely love it. It's going to get under the skin of most people, I think. Horror fan or not, this will get you. You can wave away... Uh jump scares and stuff like that as being like you know the fodder for lesser horror but yeah fuck that jump scares for life (laughs) this movie uh, if this movie were just a jump scare factory i could see where people would come from on that but there is such a tangible feeling of dread in this movie from about 15 minutes on (laughs) that the jump scares feel very earned. They, they they don't feel like random moments to jolt the audience. They feel like payoffs. No one's throwing the, a cat at the camera to really get you to be like, ah! Yeah, every jump scare delivers. I, I think that's that's the main thing. Like You have tangible tension that's then paid off with actual results. Like, when somebody gets fucked up, they get fucked up. When somebody's snatched off camera, they don't come back. <laughs> And if they do, they're a bloody mess and eh, probably in pieces. Yeah, and with the very short time frame, you never feel like the movie is wasting your time or it's spinning its wheels. Like, there is a very deliberate feeling of someone is going to go down within the next minute or two at all times. One thing I absolutely hate about modern day movies is how much of them are dedicated to setups for the next film. Like there'll just be subplots that exist solely to say, hey, if we get a sequel, we'll, we'll we'll do something with that character or that thing, that MacGuffin. There's no time for that in Host. <laughs> they don't they don't have time to fuck around with meaningless bullshit. They don't set up stuff that's not going to pay off in this movie and in probably you know maybe a scene or two from now. I, I absolutely love that. It's all purpose. Well, the movie's obsession with being as sleek and lean as possible and getting to the moments it needs to get to uh, without hesitation, like. It gives us this, this amazing lack of artifice that completely sells you on the reality of the situation. Like None of the characters in this movie are really characters. They're just regular, boring people you'd see every day. The dialogue before the seances, them making fart jokes and throwing shade on each other subtly like out of the corner their mouth it's like it's like any bored uh meet up with friends over the internet 
And at no when, point uh, is- One guy just wants to do a drinking game during this whole seance deal. It's great. You can really align your friends with the friends in this movie. They feel very genuine. The fact that one dude just fucks off to get high and hang out with his annoying girlfriend <laughs> like 15 minutes in. <laughs> like the most <laughs> realistic thing. <laughs> like one guy's just late for the slaughter because he had more important things to do than fuck around in a Zoom call. <laughs> I have to say, too, uh, I, I love the fact that this uses COVID as a backdrop, but that's only a launching pad. This is not a movie about COVID directly. It's not like there is a virus the characters have and are passing to one another. Uh, it, it's it's nothing like that. This isn't this isn't talking about COVID directly. It has that as detail. Like I, I love the part where one character meets another one. They're going to hug because they're so distressed and they realize they can't. So they bump elbows quickly. <laughs> And I love how universal that is. Like, I like how the movie is just timely enough to, like, really hit people where they live right now, but not timely in a way that this is going to be extremely dated, like, ten years from now. Yeah. In, in like, two years when they make a COVID movie, I'm going to be rolling my eyes. It's going to be like, fuck, we just lived through that. I don't, I don't give a shit about seeing it on screen. This is perfect right now. And, you know, in 10 years when I rewatch them, we go, oh, those are really genuine details. That's how we had to live back in 2020. Like, you always had to have your mask on. People got bored in Zoom meetings, so they did stuff like they filmed themselves as a joke background. Almost like an answering machine, like, hey, it's Cody. Yeah, I got you. I'm not here. I love those details now, and I'm glad it came out when it did. Because if it came out any later, it would just feel like it's it's almost a pandering thing. Oh, we survived this horrible COVID. Look at us, strong survivors. Nah. And I'm also, like I said, I'm glad it's not directly about the pandemic because, fuck, I don't want to watch Contagion right now. I do want to watch a movie about a seance going south and a demon just fucking people up. A lot of people have been watching Contagion this year, and I don't know how they psychologically handle that. Not for me. The only thing I can say about it is part of that movie supposedly takes place in Minneapolis. Uh, I don't think they filmed in Minneapolis. I could be wrong. And that was exciting to me as a person who lived in Minneapolis. It's like, hey, I could get that contagion too. Great. <laughs> Personally, I've just been watching Outbreak because then you can laugh at the disease. <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, I'm going to be Patrick Dempsey in a couple of months, aren't I? <laughs> Son of a bitch. I would also <laughs> say I, I really like the tone they settled on here. A lot of horror movies are grim. The subject matter is dark and is presented in such a joyless way where you just feel like you need a shower afterwards. And there's a place for that. I don't necessarily want that kind of movie right now. Everything is very bleak, in my opinion. Uh, just, fuck. The mail might be gone soon? That's fucking uh, weird and terrible. We're trapped in the midst of several conflicting supervillain plots. It's, yeah, it's it's a garbage world right now. So the fact that this is a movie with dark content, like these are friends being killed by an unstoppable force, that's dark. But I wouldn't describe the movie as joyless. I wouldn't describe it as a slog in any way. It's not, it's not like light-handed. It's not waving these things off, but there's a kind of jokiness to it at the start. It, there's a fun playfulness to it in other parts, even when it's getting kind of scary. It's, it's a little bit like a, not quite a tales from the crypt jokey thing, but there's definitely a lightheartedness to parts of it that make it flow and go down very easily. And I, I love that. It's like the right balance for me. Exactly what I needed. It's just self-aware enough of the slight silliness of its premise to know like w when things need to be played a little bit for laughs. And it's a surprisingly like yeah, it's a it's kind of a good time. 
Like, as as frightening and as uh, disturbing as it, as it can get at moments, at an hour, like, yeah, it's a cool little roller coaster. It's kind of the perfect horror movie. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is something I'm going to be showing to my friends on Halloween, for sure. And there's already a follow-up in development. So we, we, oh, really? oh, we know. Oh, yeah, uh, I read that uh, from the director earlier today. He's got a uh, an idea in mind, and he says uh, the turnaround on that will not be long. So we, we may essentially be getting a, like, God, could you imagine, Cody? This is the next Saw. <laughs> <laughs> but, if but it's the turn- Thursday, it must be host. <laughs> the turnaround is just like three months on each of these. Hey, say what you will. I really appreciated the fact that Saw fucking committed, and every Halloween we got a new Saw. That was that was cool. I kind of like that when they could just pump a movie out every single year. Like the quality is always roughly the same. Like it gives me what I want every time. Yeah, fuck. Let's have more of that. I'm gonna be honest. Like it, I, I kind of like the idea of. These micro horror movies that are super low budget, but are released with the same kind of regularity you'd get, you know, like a Friday the 13th or a Saw or a Nightmare. Like, yeah. it, it would be fascinating if micro franchises ended up being the future of horror. Well, I don't see a reason why you couldn't. I mean, if you're filming something that's maybe only an hour long, maybe 45 minutes long, you could pump that out much faster than having to essentially double the footage for a feature length film. And if you're trying to use like the technological limits we already went over with, you know, like a Zoom call or something filmed on your phone, you can get away with a lot more and you don't have to spend millions of dollars to make the absolutely perfect photorealistic CGI needed to execute those things. Like, this is cool. I like this idea. It's, it's almost like uh, in the modern day of releasing music, artists can just drop shit on Spotify whenever they feel like. They don't have to uh, wait yeah. for a full album. Whereas, you know, before maybe they'd have to make a single, they'd have to do the entire release plan. And to get something on vinyl or a cassette, you know, that's not a short process. Yeah, I, I, I would actually like that future, especially since it seems like the movie theaters are are doing everything they can to murder themselves. <laughs> like, hey, let's just try and reopen early and then cram too many people into a theater where, of course, everyone will wear their mask because we're very good at enforcing our rules. Like, you know, no cell phones are talking. Or all Everybody knows the Elmo Draft House just being a, a safe haven for sexual harassment or just all sorts of god awful things. The window between releases and theaters to DVD is basically non existent now. It's, uh, I guess, if we're going to embrace doing this stuff digitally, go all the way. Get me a fun, great horror movie every quarter. Do you hear that, America? I'm turning into the Rush Limbaugh of uh, horror podcasting, I feel like, just raging at the internet and shaking my fist like that, but <laughs> ugh, everything's garbage. To bring the podcast on a more positive note, No, but, but before Cody starts seeing Hurt, <laughs> I, I, do, I do love this uh, through line of do-it-yourself genre filmmaking that we've got, like, uh, through the 20th century up until now. Like, somehow we've gone from Plan 9 from Outer Space to Phantasm to Evil Dead, like, then to stuff like Slacker and Clerks, and eventually to to things like this. Like, what constitutes a do-it-yourself movie has changed so much. I mean, even in, like, the early 90s, like, you hear stories about like, Kevin Smith having to basically commit credit card fraud <laughs> and sell his worldly possessions and cash in a FEMA check from his home being flooded by a fucking national disaster just to buy enough film to make a movie like Clerks that you can make on 
Not even an iPhone, just on like <laughs> a, on a burner. I could get a fucking burner phone from a Dollar General and make a movie that looks like Clerks right now. Your iPad could do that. Or just think like Don Coscarelli talking about making stuff like uh, Phantasm where they would rent cameras on Friday because that meant they got the whole weekend to use them instead of one day. Because back in the day, you didn't own cameras. You rented them from the system. Nowadays, everything's a camera. Everything I own, every piece of technology probably can record my face if I I check it close enough. Uh, Folks at home, we spent a good hour before recording this, trying to troubleshoot audio and recording issues. And we live in a goddamn cyberpunk future. I cannot imagine being a zero-budget filmmaker, uh, like, out there filming a blood freak or something. (laughs) And uh, having to account for every second you're filming, using up physical film that you are holding (laughs) in canisters that costs thousands of dollars... Like an act, like having an actual dollar sign, like trickling up as film is being expended. Like, how do you make a movie and worry about that at the same time? And that's just problem one of ten thousand that have been solved just by the technology moving forward. I mean, we live in a world where fucking Steven Soderbergh made a thriller literally on an iPhone. That's somehow in four K. <laughs> I own Unsane on a a 4K disc. I don't... That's weird, isn't it? Man, the future's weird. (sighs) But it's astounding how far things have come and how little I've done with all those advantages. But to see things like Host, where people actually took advantage of this time to just create something that's exhilarating, it's amazing. It's so good. And, you know, I can't say anything good about COVID, but at least we have people that are railing against it in ways like this where they're giving us great art. And I don't know what inspired the, the Lake Michigan Monster people in 2018 to make this. I'm, there was probably something god-awful at the time. Bourbon. That movie is the product <laughs> of bourbon, I am convinced. Well, I thought you were saying bourbon was the terrible event. Like, <laughs> someone accidentally tipped over a keg of bourbon. Like, that was ours! We have to make a sea monster movie now. <laughs> Didn't they say the movie came about from just hanging out on the ocean and wondering what would happen if a mermaid appeared or something like that? That was the answer, yeah, that that uh, the director gave in an interview. I mean, what would happen? Jamie, what would happen right now if a mermaid floundered into your apartment? Like someone just tossed it through your fucking window. <laughs> just with a fucking brick attached to it. Yeah, no, like she's wrapped in newspaper and someone just chucks a mermaid through your window. No, I would uh, take her to the ocean and live out the rest of my life as a uh, queen of Atlantis. I've been waiting for this since I was eight years old. It's going to happen. I have the bags packed. I was. I, I would just recreate Splash. Even if the mermaid doesn't want to do Splash, be like, we're doing Splash. It doesn't matter. It could be a dude mermaid. And so be like, we're doing Splash, bro. Yeah. Life gives you lemons. You make lemonade. Oh, yeah. Life gives you mermaids. You make Splash. Tom Hanks comes a lot in that movie. Remember that? It's weird watching Splash as an adult and thinking Tom <laughs> Hanks has just came at the beginning of every scene. <laughs> I don't have a way to top that, so I think we should quit the episode while we're ahead. God. Just <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm just thinking of that Sleepless in Seattle gif of Tom Hanks, just uh, as he's typing. No, I'm just thinking of Tom Hanks pounding Bonnie Hunt in that one scene in uh, <laughs> The Green Mile. Or he's like moaning into the pillow and he's making Tom Hanks noises like, oh, oh, and they're just both drenched in sweat. Jamie, maybe it's better that we're not making movies during the quarantine. We should leave this to the professionals. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just tip my hat to the crews of Lake Michigan Monster and the hosts, and please let just do your thing, and we'll not do ours. That's the compromise we're gonna make here. Folks, if you've enjoyed us mentally giving you the image of Tom Hanks ejaculating into a fish vagina, you can find more of Box Office Pulp on our website, boxofficepulp.com. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Heck, we're on Facebook occasionally. We have a Twitter. I don't think we've said anything to get us canceled yet, so we've got that going for us. Give us a yet. follow. Well, you have to add the caveat yet. I'm going to say something stupid eventually. That's just a given. I'm not a smart person. I'm going to say something dumb at some point. That's life. Speaking of which, I have a personal account on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at bopwatch1 at twitter.com. Uh, check it out. He posts so many Legos and drinks. He has a light box now. Oh, God. My phone is ringing at me. Is it Tom Hanks giving us a cease and desist? He's yeah, already. Uh, he has impounded all of my Legos and my light box. We had such a perfect outro going until that goddamn phone. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> Jamie, hit him with what you got. That's our sea wench at the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can check me out uh, on Twitter as well, at Mondo Funky. And uh, while you're cruising around the interwebs, I'd recommend checking out the Bail Project. That's uh, a nice little charity for helping out the ludicrous amount of people who are being arrested right now in the protests around the country. So if you can, throw a little money that way. That will directly help somebody out. Oh, shit. I should have, like, thought of a good charity to suggest. Well, I, I'm um, gonna... the Human Fund. Jeez, I just come off looking like a re- real sea field here. Like, hey, follow <laughs> my Twitter. I'm going to say something stupid that you'll hate. Jamie, what do you have? Oh, a charity for a good cause that desperately needs money? Oh. Anyways, folks, we're Box Office Pulp. Get the hell out of here. You know, for Colin Hanks to exist, Tom Hanks had to have come. <laughs> Tom Hanks came, think think about that, think about that. Tom Hanks came inside of Rita Wilson's vagina so hard, it brought Colin Hanks into the world. Like, his cum constituted itself into Colin Hanks like it was Dr. Manhattan. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that right now. You're thinking too narrow. Because of that act, we have Fargo, the TV show, which would be nothing, (laughs) nothing without the Hanks boy. That's why Colin Hanks was so troubled by the evil of the world. He knew what created him. <laughs> what, he's like the golden orb in Twin Peaks The Return? <laughs> Sent down to Earth to make life better. Can we make that, Ken? And Colin Hanks is the reverse Bob. Wow, Colin. Wow. Garmin Boja. Anyway, end the podcast, Cody. Yeah, it's. I already ended the episode. End it again. Ah, that's a wrap, folks. Get the hell out of here. Ghosty Racer, Ghosty Racer, Ghosty Racer, gone! And like that, he's gone. To wrap this background to Lake Michigan Monster, I did see the IMDb score for this film is somewhere like a 5.6 or something. Baffling. And I I wonder, yeah, it's baffling. I I wonder, one, probably not a lot of folks have rated the movie, and they were probably scared off because it's not a standard film. I feel sad for those people. They they gotta they gotta open their horizons up. I mean, to be fair, the uh, rating on IMD fee for our next uh, topic of discussion is six point seven. What? I am double checking it now because I do not believe you. Right, which just goes to show, IMDb isn't reliable for literally anything. I think Hellboy, like the Ron Perlman one, has like a 6.8 or something as well. So, you know, IMDb, who needs it?
I do. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. <laughs>